How does Christ fulfill the office of a king? Answer, Christ fulfills the office of a king in making us his willing subjects, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Okay? A king is the chief authority over a people and a country. And in earlier times was no mere figurehead. We need a king because we are in bondage to sin. Right? We need someone to set us free. I think this is so... This, I love how the, work, the Lord uses the practicality of earth, right? A king. We need someone to set us free. A good ruler, right, who will defend us, who will restrain and conquer our enemies and make us his willing subjects. To truly receive Christ, we take him not only as our teacher and savior, but as our king as well. We accept his word and we keep his commandments out of gratitude and love. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is able to win us to himself, care for us in our weakness, and bring us at last by his grace into our eternal home. Right? We owe everything to our king the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. Right? We gather here today to worship him. Okay, so our new question. Today's truth. Christ the mediator. Christ's state of humiliation. Question number 27. In what did Christ's humiliation consist? Okay, the answer helps explain this. In what did Christ's humiliation consist? Answer, Christ's humiliation consisted in being born, and that in a poor circumstance, in being subject to God's law, in undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the curse of death on the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Okay, we'll look at that closely, each part of that. First, in Christ's, humili Christ's humiliation consisted in being born, and that in poor circumstances. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. I think it's uh, Luke chapter 2, right? There was no room for him at the inn, right? He was born in a manger, in a trough, so that we could live in his mansions, right? The humiliation of our Lord Jesus. Christ's humiliation consisted in being subject to God's law. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Okay, he had to become a man so he could suffer the penalty of man breaking God's law. 
Christ's humiliation consisted in undergoing the miseries of this life. Isaiah 53.3 He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and was hid as it were, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Right? The God of all creation did this. Yeah, Erica's favorite memory verse when she was a kid, right? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, right? Jesus' humiliation consisted in dealing with the miseries of this life. He wept. Okay? And Christ's humiliation consisted in the wrath of God. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This fulfilled what was written of God the Messiah in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. 1 John 2 Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation or the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' humiliation consisted in taking on the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. Amazing, right? He became poor so that we could be rich. This is our God. And Christ's humiliation consisted in being, oh, and in the curse of death on the cross. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And Philippians 2.8 and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus' humiliation consisted in the gruesome, right? And I know this is what we've been talking about, but think about how humiliating that death is on the cross, right? He suffered the penalty of breaking God's law so we wouldn't have to. And uh, lastly, Christ's humiliation consisted in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And for 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Jesus' humiliation consisted in being under the power of death 
for three days, okay? Again, he dealt with being under the power of death so we wouldn't have to. And the last thing, that footnote there, humiliation means being brought, down, brought low down. As God's Son, Christ came to this earth from heaven, and by taking our nature, he made himself nothing. He accepted a dramatic reduction in status, undergoing a demotion and degradation so complete that at, his la at last his identity was totally obscured, and all that could be seen was a man disgraced and damned. His death throes intensified by his terrible sense of alienation from God. Okay? That's a quote from a professor, Donald McLeod. And he says there, notice in the answer, the past tense consisted, right? Next week we'll look at the present tense, current, Christ's current state of exaltation. Alright? Jesus became humiliated, obedient unto death, so that he could save us. Right? This is, uh, this is the gospel that we can share with our neighbors, right? This is our God. Became humiliated unto death, loves us this much, right? So that he could save us. All power and authority, it's always been his, right? So he was raised up to his current state of exaltation so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We'll look at that next week. So Lord, thank you once again for this awesome teaching that you have provided us through your historic church that is connected all the way back to you, Lord. You spoke to the apostles, the apostles spoke to the first church fathers, and so on and so on, and here we are. We're just joining in the song of praise, Lord. And so thank you for this awesome teaching, this concise uh, um, gathering of scripture. And we pray, Lord, that it would just set deep into our hearts, that we would know you better, trust you more, Lord, not be confused about who you are, be able to speak boldly, because of this truth in us and coming out of us, Lord, we pray. Lord, may we receive it, plant it into us. Lord, may we not go out of here today and forget it. We pray and thank you so much. Make us a people of joy and glory and in you, Lord, because of your word at work in us, Lord, the truth that is you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now we get to continue on in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. If you guys want in your pew Bible, it's page 577. You probably already got it, huh, Mabel? Nice. Matthew chapter 14. Lord, we're grateful for this uh, going through the book of Matthew uh, by your leading. We're so thankful, Lord, once again for your word and that you speak to us, Lord. You're speaking to us every time uh, we're in your word. And so, Lord, help us, Lord. Uh, I confess, once again, uh, being discouraged and confused, studying your word this week, being unsure. Uh, but thank you for um, getting us here, Lord. 
and that this is your word and that you're leading us through it, Lord. And so we pray that you would be glorified. Uh, Lord, open our hearts and minds to understand what you want us to know about this in your word today. And we thank you so much and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we go on to a new passage today, I'd just like us to review last week's passage. It just, uh, I think it's really important the Lord impressed upon me. Uh, last week we looked at the passage of Jesus uh, walking on water. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And obviously one thing notable that happened in this passage uh, is that the Apostle Peter also walked on water. Uh, but then Peter stopped being able to walk on water, right? Uh, when Peter began to sink, Jesus said to him, verse 31, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay? Now, Jesus' point here isn't about Peter needing to manufacture up more faith so that he could do this great thing. That sort of thinking, like we talked about last week, makes faith entirely dependent on what we can create. Think about the danger in that, right? Faith is nothing that we can take credit for. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. God predestined, right? He also called... And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? God gets and deserves all of the glory. Faith is a gift given to us by God. Faith is not some attribute that we can create. Right? If we would just do this more or this less, that's not it. Here's the important thing we need to understand about faith. What matters always is the object of our faith. Okay? What is the thing that we believe in? Okay? Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off of Jesus, the object of his faith. Peter took his eyes off of the one that was strong, right? Peter took his eyes off of the one that was worthy to believe in. This is what caused Peter to sink. So the point is, our faith is strong only when the object of our faith is strong. Our faith is strong only when we are focused on the one that is strong. Our faith is strong only when we are focused on the one that is worthy to believe in. As long as our faith is in our circumstances, or as long as our faith is focused on anyone or anything besides Jesus, then it won't matter how much faith we have, we will fall sooner or later. But when our eyes are on Jesus... Right? The all-sovereign, all-powerful, gracious, loving, and merciful Savior and King of all creation, we can always rest secure. In Jesus, there is never any reason to fear or doubt. 
When our eyes remain focused on Jesus, then our faith will be strong. Why? Because Jesus is strong, right? When our eyes remain focused on Jesus, then our faith will remain constant. Because Jesus is constant. This is what I think was such a blessing to me. This just seems to make such simple sense, right? Our faith is weak when we are focused on things that are weak. When we're focused on things besides Jesus. Last week we also read Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so in easily entangles us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes onto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Okay? This is why, Lord willing, I'm never going to stop preaching Jesus. Right? Because he is the only one worthy to preach about. Anything less is settling for less. Everything else is unworthy compared to Jesus. Because only he is the strong one. Only he is the one who is constant, right? Because only he is the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves and submit to the will of God that is so clearly revealed to us in the teaching and the commandments of our Lord Jesus. Because when we are meek, right, when we are submissive, to our Lord Jesus and become humbled by God in the presence of our Lord Jesus, then we become strong because we're looking to the one who is strength for us, to the one who is consistency for us. When we live for Jesus like the Apostle Paul who lived for Christ's sake, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul who said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When we become weak, when we do things Jesus' way instead of our way, then we become strong. Because it is only in the presence of Jesus, doing things his way, not ours, that we exchange, right? We can exchange our weakness for his strength. When our eyes remain focused on Jesus, then our faith will be strong because Jesus is strong. When our eyes remain focused on Jesus, then our faith will be constant because Jesus is constant. All right, so we'll move on to uh, the last part of this chapter. Uh, this will be our passage for today. Matthew chapter 14. Verses 34 through 36. Okay? Matthew chapter 14, verse 35. And when they were gone over, so when they got to the other side of the lake, okay, they came into the land of Genesaret, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole or well. 
Okay. So here, uh, these people had, uh, verse 35, they had knowledge of Jesus. Uh, some translations say they were people who recognized him. Uh, both of this is to say that these people, they believed in Jesus. Okay, these were people who believed in Jesus. These people believe that Jesus is competent to do anything. Okay, they believe in him, right? They believe he is competent to do anything, so they get what they believe. These, they, these people actually begged Jesus that if they could just touch the hem of his garment, they would be made perfectly well. And all those that touched it, they did. They became perfectly well. This incident reveals to us just how complete Jesus' ministry is to people who have wholehearted faith in him. One of the reasons, right, isn't one of the reasons that we believe in Jesus is because we believe that he is, he is totally competent to heal us of all of our miseries. Right? This is one of the reasons we believe in him. We believe he's totally competent to heal us of all of our miseries. This is one of the promises of God, right, that we wholeheartedly believe in and are in fact relying on as we follow Jesus, right? Let's be honest, we're relying on this as we follow Jesus, the Lord and Savior. Revelations 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Right? One of the reasons that we believe in Jesus is because we believe that he is totally competent to heal us of all of our miseries. We turn to Jesus because he is strong. We turn to Jesus because he is constant. We turn to Jesus because he heals us of all of our miseries. This is why, so let, I was like, what's something practical, right, about this? This is why it's so crucial and why there is such a direct connection between our turning from our sins, from ourselves, and turning to Jesus to obey his teaching and commandments, right? Because it is in the obedience that we receive his presence, right? Practically speaking, right? We have to be kneeling before the king so that we can receive his strength. We have to be kneeling before the king so that we can receive his consistency. We have to be kneeling before the king so that we, we can receive his healing of our miseries. And so even going a little bit further, right, like trying to think of a real practical example, um, I think it's in the obedience of our partaking in the Lord's Supper every week. Okay, so I think this is why it's important we realize and stress the fact that in partaking in the Lord's Supper, we believe that we physically meet with the risen to life Jesus by his spirit every time we take communion. 
okay? When we sit around the Lord's table, we come into the real presence of Jesus every week. If you will, we touch the hem of his garment, okay? In obedience to Jesus' command to remember him every time we gather, we will in fact be blessed by coming into the real physical presence of our Lord. Bible commentator Matthew Henry said, I believe the Protestant confidence in the word is historically true, but I regret the, the seeming failure in much of Protestantism to appreciate that Jesus left us not only his speaking word, but also his touching sacraments. Okay? Meaning the Lord's Supper and Baptism. His touching sacraments. Obedience to Jesus' command to partake in the Lord's Supper, the remembering of his body that was broken for us, and the blood that was shed for us, is an opportunity every week to touch the hem of his garment and be healed of our miseries as we come into the physical presence of our Lord and Savior. Let's look at the book of John, chapter 6. For, uh, page 633 in the Pew Bible. The book of John, chapter 6. And we'll look at verses 51 through 59. The book of John, chapter 6, verse 51. Our Lord Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Okay? So, doesn't obedience to the Lord's Supper make perfect sense of this passage? Okay? The reason the Lord himself instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is so that his church could meet with him every week in a special way. To come into his presence and receive him. Right? The very blessing of God. 
We were talking the other week about how this church desires the meat of God, right? Well, Jesus says that he is the meat. Verse 55, for my flesh is meat indeed, he says. Be obedient to Jesus and his command to remember him with the Lord's Supper every time we gather, right? And so come into the present into his presence and receive his strength. Right? Be obedient to Jesus and so come into his presence and receive his consistency. Be obedient to Jesus and so come into his presence and receive his healing of our miseries. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is God literally pouring out his grace onto us. Jesus giving us himself to do the things we can't do, to do the things we need to do. Believe in, remember the Lord Jesus, and the result of this true faith will be God producing in us obedience to his commands. Right? We will partake in the Lord's Supper every time we gather because it is Jesus' strength, Jesus' consistency, Jesus' healing of our miseries that causes us to meet with the risen to life Lord to touch the hem of his garment. Be obedient to Jesus and receive him, right? The meat of God. So let's pray. Then let's come into the living presence of our Lord God as we obey him, right? By his grace and partake of the feast that is himself, right? That he himself has prepared for us. 